Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not draw out hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna me for my ambition. We don't have enough time to go over what just happened. We, we really don't. Five minutes ago, I'm, I'm not even joking, five minutes ago, was the craziest ending to a March Madness day ever. I mean, and I'm living in the moment. I'm prisoner of the moment. But you all know this is the – I mean, this was the craziest ending to one of the craziest days in college basketball history here. Episode 96 of the Hoopers Log through CLNS Radio in the Seat Geek Studios. My name is Simo Buckets. we got Jonathan Wagner on the line. we also got Andrew Norris on the line. If you'd like to call in and be a part of the craziness and what you endured in your household watching these final couple of ball games, call in. The phone number is 323-642-1558. I can't even – I was trying to write down notes coming into this and trying to figure it out ultimately what was going on and trying to process it all, and I'm still trying to process it. It is just utter madness here. Day two of the tournament on March 18th, 2016, will go in infamy as one of the greatest days in college basketball history. Three unbelievable games coming down the stretch at the end of the day where we already had one of the craziest days where we had a 15-seed win for the eighth time in history, a 14-seed, actually, We had two 13-seed teams win today, and we had a 14-seed win. It was a crazy day. Actually, no, we had one 13-seed. My apologies. We had a 14, and Stephen F. Austin, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Middle Tennessee beat Michigan State. If your bracket isn't busted, what are you doing? Who have you picked? And what kind of drugs did you smoke before coming on and picking your bracket? This was an insane day of basketball. We're going to start it off chronologically, and then we're going to get into all these games that happened at the end. It was just utter, insane chaos, madness. Here is Jonathan Wagner. Jonathan, can you process what happened here in the final couple of games between Notre Dame, Michigan, the Big Blue rivalry, Northern Iowa against University of Texas, and Cincinnati and St. Joe? Can you, fa- can you just process this? I, I just didn't have enough TVs, and I, I couldn't even <laughs> switch the remote quick enough because it was just—it was unbelievable. I mean, we, I we already had history. I mean, for the day to end that way, we, we even if even if the games tonight weren't that good, um, it was already a great day because we already had history. It's the first time that that a that a thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen won on the same day ever in the NCAA oh, tournament. So we already had that, and then you throw in the fact that an eleven wins, and we already had an eleven win. Uh, we have another 11 win on a on not just a buzzer beater, but a half court buzzer beater. And then yeah. seconds later, you have you have an unbelievable ending where it can't get any closer than that. 
Guy dunks the right? ball, and it's a, right. I don't even know if it was a tenth of a second. Maybe it was a hundredth of a second. Too late. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it was, to me, it was, it, there's been some great days in the NCAA tournament history. To me, this was the single best day in the tournament ever. I think this was unbelievable, and I can't fathom it. Andrew Norris is also on the line. Andrew went to a Detroit game, and he caught his break, but he caught the end of the tournament. Andrew, how's your day been, man? Dude, I mean, I think I saw all the madness because the madness, it, it worked perfect. Like, the time I was at the game, I got there at 6.30. I got home at, like, 10.10, okay? So, like, I saw the crazy madness. Like, what we thought was going to be insane, okay? The, the first part of the day, I missed kind of, like, the average, like, okay, chalk, here we go. Um, obviously, of course, except for the West Virginia Stephen F. Austin game, and then when I got home, I saw maybe the craziest 10 minutes in college basketball history. I, I don't think that's a stretch. I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, of course, with my luck, actually, I didn't just miss the half-court buzzer beater. I was so busy getting everything prepared to come on here. I didn't even see I didn't even hear about it until I heard you guys talking about it in the pre-show right there. Um, my heart's still beating from today. Uh, my throat hurts a little bit because I was yelling profanities at DeMarcus Cousins all game, and I'm just so excited to really get in depth and talk about this, man. Yeah, this is one of the this – is, this is historically six today where 16 more games were played, day two of the tournament. As you can imagine here on the Hoopers Log, we are more than excited. If you'd like to hop on board in the Seat Geek studio, my name is Simo Bucket through CLNS Radio, episode 96 here is Friday night edition, midnight 30 here on the East Coast, 9.30 p.m. Pacific on the West Coast, a 90-minute edition. We're, trying to, we're not going to try and go the whole time, but if we can, we'll do it. This was, this was the day. If you're a basketball lover like us, this is the day you live. And if you'd like to call in for the show, 323-642-1558 is the number. It was just, uh, I mean, what, what else is there to say? Kevin Hart, get it started for us. Let's go. All right, all right, all right. We're going to learn today. In fact, that doesn't just deserve a Kevin. We lost Chris. He's still working the soundboard, but we lost a little bit. Um, he'll, he'll be back on. He always is. But as he always says, that Pacific Northwest weather kills him. Uh, it, it does not work too well for the Guys, and let's get to man. All right. First of all, besides for the big shot. Let's go overall game. What did you have as the craziest game today and just your favorite moment from it? Uh, it's it's, it's got to be the half-court shot. I mean, I, I, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, you talk about the, the UConn shot. Yeah, that's a conference tournament. As exciting as that was from 75 feet, uh, this beat it because it's an NCAA tournament game. I mean, this is, and this is an 11 over 6. Uh, there were so many moments today. I mean, obviously, uh, Middle Tennessee State knocking out Michigan State. And, and to me, that, that almost, it was so strange because it didn't feel like a 15 over 2. It felt like a 15 over 1 because so many people thought that they should have got the one seed over Oregon. And uh, it, it, just, it, it was just unbelievable. But, but the single best moment, if you have to pinpoint one, it's got to be that half-court shot. I mean, to, to win an NCAA tournament game like that, that's, that's exactly what March Madness is all about, and especially when it's the underdog, the 11 seed, doing it over the 6 seed. So, I mean, it's just, it's just an unbelievable I'm back. game. I'm back. I'm back, yeah, back. yeah, well, Sorry, and Chris, real quick, and, and the craziest yeah. part about, I think, well, the shot, of course, was just insane. But that's one moment in the game, right? 
When you look at right. that Middle Tennessee State beating Michigan State, not only Incredible. did they beat them, but I feel like oh, obviously they're not the better team. But normally in an upset, you see one team just play yeah. terrible and one yeah. team play out of their mind. This was no, like they, something they like, were today. I mean, they, they, was, they were the better team today. <laughs> even Tom Izzo said so, and he was absolutely right. It wasn't I mean, even close. Like, like Middle Tennessee dominated this game. And, and of course, the scoreboard is not going to show it. When Middle Tennessee State is playing Michigan State, a domination is a one point victory. But, I mean, they, every aspect of the ballgame, and I swear to God, Michigan pulled, State pulled it within one point probably four or five times. And every single time, there was either a huge three or an and one. It, it was amazing. It was one of the most gutty efforts, but at the same time, I feel like Gutty undermines it, because I feel like Gutty makes it sound like, kind of like when, like, a white basketball player like Tyler Johnson dunks it, and they call him sneaky athletic. Like, that guy's not <laughs> sneaky athletic. That guy's, that guy's athletic. Right? And and this wasn't a gut, this was a Gutty win, but at the same time, they just outplayed the hell out of the Spartans. They really did. Well, you know, they really played an unbelievable game. Of, they really played unbelievable today, and we're going to get to that uh, today was a, uh, a, a a definition of a bracket busting day uh, on the Hoopers log. I apologize for falling out. I'm I'm out here, kind of in the middle of nowhere, out in uh, in Washington State. So if I drop off, you'll hear you'll hear Jonathan and you'll hear uh, Andrew in the background talking. Obviously, as they're prepared and ready to go. Um, I'll let you talk in just a moment, Jonathan. But I got to reset. If you'd like to call in and talk on the show, feel free to do so. Three two three six four two. One five five eight. Obviously, one of the craziest days in college basketball history. There's no debate about that. Uh, Jonathan, what else were you trying to say before we move on and, and go through these games chronologically throughout the day? Well, well we, we can leave it for later because there's a few more things I want to say about that Michigan State game. But let, let's let's go through it how you want it. And uh, when Absolutely. we get to that one, uh, I'll, I'll hold on to that. No problem. Six upsets today in the world of the college basketball. Day two of the tournament. Sixteen games today. And a lot of, I'm telling you, a lot of upsets. Six of them, as I mentioned, out of the 16 games. I, I can't believe it. Again, Syracuse winning over Dayton, 70-51. to 51, And everyone knows Syracuse didn't deserve to be in the tourney. But this was one of those games and a perfect example where the team who was not expected to win, obviously probably more talented from, a, from a, just the overall perspective and what conference they play in. But from the standpoint of them not deserving, they came out and laid the wood to Dayton today throughout the game, the entire game, and they dominated. Jonathan, you start first. What did you see in this game between Syracuse and Dayton that really got you going and really made you think, okay, Syracuse has just got the better talent? Yeah, I mean, you know, last night we were talking and I said, you know, so many times you've seen this tournament, um, people complain and say, oh, how'd that team get a bid? They should never be in it. And then what happens? They win a game or two in the tournament and they justify the committee selection. I, I don't think it really justifies it because you, you still, I mean, that's just the way it goes. People will often say that and they'll say, oh, well, they won, so they deserve to be there. I still think you have to look at the body of work over the season and one game doesn't justify it or even two wins doesn't justify it. But, you know, if you're a Syracuse fan, though, I'm sure you're going to say that, yeah, we deserve it. Uh, the biggest thing was the rebounding for, for me. Um, Dayton came in 20-2 and two in out-rebounding opponents this season, so they're almost unbeatable. And Syracuse just did a tremendous job. Um, uh, Roberson had, he had a 20-rebound game at Duke. I don't know what he finished with today. I think it was somewhere around 17 or 18. I think 18, 10 points and 18 rebounds is what he finished with. And he was just a beast on the boards today. And, and, and you know, I, Jim Beheim was funny because he was saying, well, I wish I could say it was our defense, but it was actually 14 missed layups or dunks for Dayton. They had every opportunity. They were getting to the paint. They were getting to the rim. They just – 
every time, I don't know if they heard footsteps or whatever, because Syracuse's defense inside was, was pretty good at times, maybe better than Beheim gave his team credit for. Uh, but they just missed shots that they should make. I mean, dunks and laps, a lot, most of them just laps. Some of them were, were harassed a little bit, but, but others were just ones that, that they just missed. They flat-out missed them. Um, Syracuse started badly. They were one for nine from the field. Didn't look good for them. Looked like at, at first, you know, you didn't know if they were going to score enough, and then they just got it going and uh, went up by 20 in the second half. They were 53-33, and from there you just knew that they were going to win. And uh, that was pretty much the start of a crazy day. So, uh you know, um, Syracuse did what they had to do. They answered the uh, the critics who said, you know, 70 RPI, they shouldn't have been there, and came out and beat a good Dayton team who just kind of beat themselves. I mean, Syracuse played well, but you can't miss 14 layups or dunks in a game like that. Right. Uh, Andrew, what was your take from the game? Yeah, no, well, first of all, and I, the point you made, Jonathan, is exactly what I said, and this is the exact reason I picked Syracuse. You see it every single year. That team that gets in and you're like, how the hell did they get in? Syracuse was that team this year, 19-13, and 9-9 and nine in their conference. I believe they finished either 8 or ninth in their conference. Um, and, and they get in, and you're, you're like, really? I mean, St. Bonaventure, who went 22-9 and nine and 14-4 and four in their conference, obviously it's, it's the Atlantic 10 versus ACC, but, you know, and you see it every year. Last year was UCLA. This year's Syracuse. And Malachi Richardson played 36 of the yeah. possible. Yes. I mean, every big moment that they needed to him to step up, and that's what it comes down to. I mean, this is a one-and-done tournament. So, and, and very rarely when you see the freshmen stand up, and it's not like this guy's Anthony Davis. It's not like he's Carl Anthony Towns. This is Malachi Richardson. I, I don't have exactly what kind of recruit he was uh, coming in, but it's just, Biggest moments, biggest plays win these games. 95% of the time, they're going to be close. So these clutch players, and clutch is real. I know sabermetrics disagree with clutch and say it's not real, but clutch is real, and this tournament proves it. Malachi Richardson, Roberson, the entire Syracuse basketball team was clutch. They showed it today. They got it when they needed to. And really, I mean, they showed the difference between the 19 wins and the ACC and 22 wins in the Atlantic 10, if we're being completely honest. Yeah, it was a, it was a dominating performance by Syracuse uh, from beginning to end, realistically, and it really wasn't even close. Dayton really never sniffed anything closer, especially in the second half when Syracuse came out. A dominating win by Syracuse there again, 70-51. to 51. They're moving on to the second round. And, and one, one quick one, again, Villanova dominating UNC Asheville at 2 versus 15, 86 to 56. A quick, just a, just a dominating performance by Villanova. They move on to the next round as well. Uh, again, we're going to skip over some of these blowouts because obviously no one wants to talk about those today. They want to talk about the upsets and the close games that we had. Uh, but one game to definitely mention, obviously, is the late night games have ended here. Um, but one game that gets lost in the shuffle and probably will get lost in the shuffle from the standpoint of entertainment VCU and Oregon State. I'm telling you, Gary Payton II is legit. This guy is all as athletic as all can be, and he's a guy who came into this ball game. I was like, okay, he's Gary Payton's son. All right, you know, he's got the leg. No, this guy's pretty good. This guy's athletic. This guy can make it happen. He made an alley-oop today where I stood up, and I'm not one to usually stand up watching basketball games when I see something, but when I see something as impressive as that that pump under alley-oop that he made midway through the, the second half, I was beyond impressed. They, there's a guy on VCU, I don't know his name, but he looks just like Kenneth Fareed with the braids, and he made some unbelievable yeah, blocks. Yeah. Un- 
Oh, my goodness. He made some unbelievable play. The athleticism in this ball game was through the roof, and the entertainment value was sky high. If you just were watching this game off a whim like I was, obviously I had VCU winning the ball game and, and Oregon State lost, and VCU got the victory 75-67, but the athletes were dominating in this ball game. It was just high-flying, acts all over the ball, all over the ball court. Obviously, competition sky high. Uh, what did you guys see from this ball game? Uh, Jonathan, start off with it real quick, and then Andrew, follow up. Yeah, I mean, it was a game of runs in the first half. You know, VCU was up early, and then uh, Oregon State went on a nice run. They they took the lead, and the VCU closed the half really strong. You thought they were in good shape. They're up eight. Uh, and then, then they kind of, they fought, you know, they, they, they're up. I think Oregon State was down about 10. Then they go on another run. It was just back and forth. Uh, then they're up, and you think, well, maybe this is Oregon State's day, but then VCU just too much – uh, down the stretch, you know, they had no offensive rebounds in the first half, and that's where they just they they just exerted their will on the offensive glass down the stretch. They had they had at least nine offensive rebounds in in this game, and all of them came in the second half, and that's really where they took a game that was back and forth with runs in a game that was pretty close, and and they just kind of pulled away down the stretch, and they and they got the win. It was, it was mostly because of that, mostly because of because of uh, Allie Cox on the on the offensive glass, uh, the guy you mentioned, and uh, and just. The, the rest of the Rams just just hitting the glass and just being just energy, just bringing energy and, and fighting for loose balls and 50-50 balls, getting offensive boards and, and just saying we refuse to lose, and that's exactly what the Rams did, and they move on. Yeah, and, and on top of that, when when you look, and in the game of runs in the NCAA tournament, you kind of want to look for experience. If, if I'm not mistaken, this is VCU's fourth consecutive year in the tournament. Can you guys confirm that for me? Um, I, they're Cinderella I so. for four years so ago, right? Check that out. But, but anyway. Oh, yeah. No, and, and the 2011, they, they I mean, two, 2011 was the final four run, but uh, oh, they, wow. they've been a good program since, though. Right. And right. even so, back to the days when I saw them in the CAA, they're, they've, they've always been a pretty strong program. Right. So you look at you look at the starting lineup that consists of two juniors, two seniors, and a, and a sophomore – and they have this tournament experience. They know what it takes. They know what it's like to be upset. They know what it's like to upset a team. So so these are players who, coming into the second half, one, you know, two of those guys, this this could be their last game, okay? The the rest of them, I believe, you know, Michigan upset them a couple of years ago. Um, you know, and they, they haven't had the best tournament look since that final four run. They knew what it takes. Um and, and I mean, let's be let's be honest. This is a 24 and 10 team coming into the game against a, a, a probably overrated Oregon State team that was 19 and 13. Gary Payton Jr. is a nice name. He's a he's a damn good ball player. Um, you know, he's he was a near triple double type player. Um, you know, he's got his daddy's defense. Obviously, not quite that. Everton 16 points, eight rebounds, five assists coming into the game. Um, two and a half steals. I mean, he he's all over the place. But this VCU, this VCU defense is one, even without Shaka Smart, that's built to slow down teams that are made around one player. Um, and, and Gary Payton still went for 19 points. He still did his thing. But at, overall, VCU played their game. They, they executed their system. And as basic as it sounds, they just got it done at the right moments. And I know I said it earlier, but that's what they showed up when they needed to. They made the correct time runs. It's kind of like in a race when one person uses NOS too early. That was Oregon State, and then BCU used the experience and said, too early, son, clicked their NOS, took it to the finish line, right? 
So, absolutely. so VCU absolutely. did what they had to do. I, I mean, it, it was a tie in the second half, but, again, you have to make your runs at the right time. And VCU did that. VCU comes away with the victory. And, hey, you might be looking at another deep VCU run because this is a good team. Really, really, really experienced, really talented VCU team. And Oregon State falls, but, again, a, a big-time game there, and it gets lost in the shuffle. And we kind of – and that after those three games, to be honest, that was kind of where the day really took a turn for greatness. And Hawaii beating California, I don't think anyone was shocked if you understood the, the ramifications before this. Obviously, they losing a guard uh, yesterday and then losing another guy right before tip-off. They had two big injuries coming into this ball game, and Hawaii was already being talked about as potentially upsetting Cal. Cal showed spurts of, of, of their talent flourishing. Jalen Brown played okay. I mean, he wasn't great or anything, but he played okay. It just, it just wasn't enough for Cal. They were, not, they were not prepared to win this ball game today with the injuries and the loss of depth. A fantastic team, but sometimes talent cannot not over to overtake a team the way that Hawaii came out and played. And Hawaii, to their credit, really stepped on the pedal and, and their confidence. As Jonathan and I mentioned in yesterday's show after the first day, their confidence in a lot of these small schools was sky through the roof, unbelievable, as Hawaii found a way to dominate 77-66. to 66, And they just found a way to just keep pressing the on button. They never ran out of gas, and Cal could never really pick themselves up to win this ballgame. Jonathan, what did you see from this one and, uh, between Hawaii and Cal as a 13 seed gets it done over a four? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, like you said, you know, losing Ty Wallace with the broken hand and Jabari Bird, he had, he had the stiff back. That was just too much for Cal to overcome. Might have been a different – uh, outcome had they, you know, you lose both of those guys. If you have even one of them, you give yourself a much better chance. And because, you know, Cal did hang late until Hawaii kind of pulled away down the stretch. So if you have even one of them, it might be a different game. But um, but Hawaii's a good team. I mean, they almost beat Oklahoma earlier in the year. Um, and they, they just played a good game. Um, you know, they got in the open floor a lot. They uh, Down the stretch, they, they, they got really high. I think they made about 8 out of 10 down the stretch to kind of pull away. And, and, you know, like you said, that's what some of these teams, these teams, these lower seeds from maybe the smaller conferences going up against a bigger conference team, the higher seed like Cal, they're not intimidated and they don't back down. And, and you, you, what we're seeing here down the stretch, especially these close games, where you think the higher seed might take over and, and, and might and – might, you know, after after the lower seed kind of makes their their push and make their run, you you think the higher seed, okay, well now that's over with. Now the higher seed that we've seen so many times in the NCAA tournament, they're gonna kind of take the game over, and you end up saying in the end, well, it was a nice try for the for the for the upset, but it didn't really happen. You know, they gave a nice effort, but that was it. You know, um, kind of like. Um, like the way the Buffalo-Miami game went, you know, something like that yesterday. We've seen that a lot, but we're not seeing that this year. This is now a record. Ten double-digit seeds have won in the first round uh, for the first time ever. <laughs> so, uh, And a lot of that has to do, like you said, with the confidence of these smaller schools and, and lower seeds just not being intimidated, not backing down. And, and actually, to be honest, showing more poise, which, which is the thing that surprises me. We talked about it last night again. Happened again tonight. We, we touched on the turnovers last night, right? Um, Purdue, right? They're up 14 late with four minutes left. And why did they lose that game? Well, they had 18 turnovers. Arkansas Little Rock only had six. It was the reverse of what you expect for the, the big-name team against the smaller-name team. Same thing tonight. for Cal. Yeah, yeah, same thing with that. I think uh, there, there was another game today. We'll, we'll get to it. Um, I think it was the 
uh, Stephen F. Austin game with the turnovers. They only had six turnovers, <laughs> and West Virginia had 22. So, you know, same kind of thing as with – it reminded me of Arkansas Little Rock and Purdue. So so you're seeing that confidence in the poise from these lower-ranked, lower uh, lower-seeded teams, and it's it's what's making this tournament great so far. Yeah, and those, those are the things when I did my do's and don'ts for the tournaments. What do you have to look at when you, when you're looking at these teams, when you're building your brackets, what do you want to look at? And and my two main ones out of my three were three-point percentage four and opponent's three-point percentage and then turnovers four and turnovers four. So you look yes. at this game, um, and, of course, this is one of the worst three-point shooting games you'll see in the tournament. Three for 14, that's 21.4%. Hmm. Cal, three for 19, that's 15.8%. Turnovers, Cal had 16 like you said, as opposed to Hawaii's 11. Those are the two biggest factors in college basketball right now, turnovers and three-pointers, because three-pointers are what completely drives the game because college basketball has turned into drive and kick. That is the main offense. That That's the most effective yes. offense these, these these kids are, are running right now, and it's it's showing. I mean, 77 to 66, of course, the shortened clock, shot clock, but that's, you know, a higher scoring game than we would have previously seen in the tournament. Um but that, that that drive and kick is the biggest thing. So if you're going to make more threes, you're going to make more timely threes, and you're going to force your opponent to turn the ball over. And especially, I mean, let's be honest. I'm 18, okay? A lot of these people are 19, 20, even 18. So I know just from playing in like a travel tournament baseball game, if my team's down going into the last inning, even one run, I am nervous as all hell. So – you know, you turn these guys over a couple times, you get off to a 10-5 start, what's in their head? Oh, my God, we're going to be all over ESPN. We're choking. We're going to get killed on Twitter. Our social media is going to be blown up. And, the, the, and, right. and yeah. as much as you don't think about that happening, it does, okay? And, and there's no way that it doesn't because these are still, you know, immature young people who, who don't know how to handle this yet. They dominated their high schools. They dominated, you know, their peewee leagues. They dominated their whole life. So when they get in a weird situation that, that could be, you know, they can't just take over the game whenever they want, because all these, all these guys could at some point in their life just take over a game. And, and now, you know, you see Hawaii come out, and, you know, I, I'd, say, I'd go as far as to say dominate Cal. I mean, they made Cal look yeah. terribly ugly. Jalen Brown played 17 oh, yeah. minutes, completely choked in this game. He fouled out in 17 minutes. Um, I personally think, and this is something I want to get your guys' opinion on in a minute, but I personally think sure. Yvonne Rabb is the, is the top prospect on Cal over Jalen Brown. Even with how much I love Jalen Brown, I don't think he's going to be a great pro. Um, but you could tell they got in Cal's head early, and they stayed in there. Yes. Okay? And, and and Cal played probably the worst game they've played all year, bar none. Um, right. But, but like I said, I do want to get your guys' opinion on this. Who do you think, not necessarily who will get drafted higher, I think Jalen Brown will get drafted higher, but do you guys think he's the yeah. better NBA prospect on Cal? Well, I mean, time is going to – I'll say something. Time is going to really di- dictate that overall, as we know. Um, I, I think I think what's going to happen is, is overall – Jalen Brown down in time will ultimately be a better player, but it's kind of like when you draft a guy who's been in, who's been in college for a long time, he generally comes into the NBA and meshes pretty quickly as a role player. And then he plays well and eventually becomes the starter. Um, Jalen Brown might be one of those players that comes into the NBA and he'll be a guy that 
that will that will look young and, and out of it for for the first like I say like six seven months of the season, uh, you know, basically the whole year. And then when and then by the by the next year or even late in the late in his first year, he'll show signs of improving a lot like Devin Booker. You know, he'll, he'll show signs of getting better. But then eventually, you know, come a couple years down the road, he's going to look like a, a bona fide player. But I, I think I think the guy, the other guy you're talking about, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to come out and play pretty well his first year if he gets into the NBA and makes a roster. I think he's going to I think he's going to play a lot better than Jalen Brown would if he gets minutes. I, I, but that's tough to say because obviously a lot of these players coming into the draft and a lot of these players will be drafted in June. It, it's tough to really really say because I mean. You had a guy in West Washburn today who reminds me, as I was watching him, I was like, man, this is like the baby Amon Shumpert. Like, this guy plays great defense. He's energy. He's athletic. He's crazy. He's, he's, he's unbelievable, but he's not the best player out there. But he could be a good pro. He could be a great pro. Uh, you saw a lot of that today uh, in some of these players. Obviously, a guy in Thomas Walkup. He pulled a Steph Curry play at the end of the ballgame. He, he pulled a Steph Curry, shoot it in your face at the end of the game on Stephen F. Austin in front of West Virginia, in front of the bench. I mean, that was clutch stuff right there. And we saw some players who really upped their draft stock based on today's performances. So I think overall Jalen Brown's going to be the better player. But, but, but man, at the end of the day, who, what do I know? Uh, Jonathan, what's your take on that? Uh, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, they're both obviously talented players, and you, you don't want to go by, too much by one game. But if you go by the, the, the tournament game today, I mean, clearly – uh, Rob was a better player. I mean, 13 points, 5 for 11, yes. 12 rebounds. Um, uh, Brown just didn't really show up. You know, um, like you said, uh, foul trouble. He fouled out in only 17 minutes, 1 for 6 from the field, 4 points, 7 turnovers. That's glaring for, for Cal. Um, yeah. You know, that, this is where guys make, you know, the NCAA tournament is where, they, where is their showcase. Um, you know, again, you want to look at the whole body of work. You want to look at the whole career, and I'm, and I'm sure that's what scouts will look at. But on the big stage, Brown obviously did not get it done in, in any way, shape, or form today. Um, and that's something that he might have to overcome a little bit. And, Andrew, you brought up something that I wanted to talk about, about between Hawaii and Cal. That, and, obviously, your formula for picking brackets and do's and don'ts. You brought up, the, obviously, the three-point game and, and, obviously, the turnover margin and things like that. The other thing, too, on top of that statistic, which I agree with you on, it's more outside-driven today and just basketball in general and, obviously, college basketball, period, the kick, the kick out. Kick-out play has, has become the main factor of college basketball. But as we saw today, if you watched a lot of basketball, you saw a lot of backdoor cuts. You saw a lot of niche plays that a lot of not, – not like, not like trick plays per se, but niche plays that have, that have been in the root of college basketball for years and years and years. And I think a lot of these guys – because it's, it's like the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs, you see a lot of the, the main strategy, the adjustments, the, the, the changes – in this in in this tournament, you're seeing a lot of teams really mold and play really different styles of basketball that a lot of other teams don't see on a regular basis throughout the regular season. Because during the regular season, everyone's going to run their system, but then every you know for those three days, they're going to run a couple of niche plays, things like backdoors, things like you know, uh, for example, when guys miss baskets going to the hoop for layups, there's always going to be a big guy ready there to rebound and put it back in. You saw that you see that multiple times. You see the kickout. You see guys also not just kicking out, but kicking out for screen and picks. You see a lot of different types of things that happen, and when that becomes the case, teams like Cal, teams like Oregon State playing in the Pac-12, which, by the way, the Pac-12 has been horrible in the tournament. Uh, they've only won two games, and they only won two games in the first round, which I told you the Pac-12 was overrated. But anyway, back to the point. 
you saw teams like Syracuse really put it together through Dayton. Dayton's a really good team, but Syracuse put a couple of plays together where Dayton probably hadn't seen that. And these other games that we're going to get to, you saw the same type of thing. I think that also is impacting some of these games, which is, which is for the better, because you're seeing what col- why college basketball, why it is so still so good, and why people, when they say, you know, the, 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 the quality of play is not as good as it used to be. I highly disagree. There's a lot of fundamentally sound players today than there were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Are they more outside-driven? Sure. But can they learn on the fly? You're seeing these teams adjust in-game after each timeout and change their mentality yeah. and change their style of play to fit certain things, and it makes the game. You're seeing the quality of play. And these last three games that we saw tonight, I saw it on multiple occasions where there were just absolutely gorgeous bounce passes, gorgeous passes in the lane, beautiful passes. For example, in the Notre Dame game, which we'll talk about later, the big men were huge factors in that ball game to keep Notre Dame in it. And that wasn't really the case for that team all year long, but the big men were unbelievable in that game fundamentally. Fundamentally, you saw some amazing things, and it wasn't just necessarily the outside game that was there. Definitely it was a major factor, and it was probably the main factor of many of these games, but it wasn't everything. And that's where I think the adjustment comes for teams because they're so used to the outside portion of how the games run today. And you saw these type of plays. And, and Hawaii, to their credit, as we've been talking about, they really beat down Cal down low. And they, they beat them at their own game, which is strange enough to say because most of the time in most of these upsets today, the, 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 the smaller team was just the better team. But Hawaii really today truly beat Cal at their own game and dominated in many facets. It was fascinating to see from that angle. Cal, anything else you want to say about that game, uh, Andrew, before we move on to uh, – Obviously, uh, I think, in my opinion, one of the biggest upsets in, in history. You want to hear anything else about Hawaii and Cal? No, let's move on to, let me rephrase that, the biggest upset in history. And you know what's <laughs> fascinating about this, everybody? For those of you that are listening uh, either to the, to the Apple Podcast, you know, maybe 5, 10, 15 years from now, if we still have Apple Podcast. Uh, anyway, if you're listening to this, you know, later, obviously because it's late here on the East Coast uh, or out on the East Coast, it's 1 a.m. Uh, 1 a.m. Eastern time, and it's 10 p.m. Pacific. Um, this was, and, and Jonathan and I were talking about this throughout the day after it had happened, obviously. Middle Tennessee beating Michigan State. 15 over a two, the eighth time it's happened all time, 15 over a two. And we broke down kind of the top the top teams, you know, a top 15 over twos of all time. And the one that comes to my mind as I've really started to really hash it out, uh, Lehigh over Duke was a big one, obviously, about three or four years ago when that happened. In two, I believe it was 2012. When that happened, I was, in, I, was in, I was shocked. I did not expect that to happen. But how this game matriculated and, and worked itself out, and, and Andrew brought up a good point. I think Michigan State came out flat. I don't think they played their best game. Clearly, and I was telling Andrew this, I think Michigan State came out on the wrong side of the bed today. That's not to fault them, though, because Middle Tennessee, when Michigan State started putting it together, Middle Tennessee answered. They had a guy named Harris who was unbelievable, physically imposing down low. He would shoot shots from the outside. They had another guy who looked a lot like Blake Griffin running around playing unbelievable, getting oops. Uh, They had another guy. I don't know their names right now, but this was all together. Middle Tennessee came out 
And they reminded me a lot of what Florida Gulf Coast did about three years ago when they did what they did against, uh, against Georgetown and then ultimately when they went to the Sweet 16. This Middle Tennessee team just absolutely dominated today. I mean, they played unbe- I mean, unbelievable basketball. They had 10 turnovers in the ballgame, but you wouldn't have known it watching how they played against Michigan State winning 90-81. to And let me, just, let me just shoot it to you guys because you guys obviously know that this this was the biggest bracket buster of all tournament games. Many teams had, many people had Michigan state winning the NCAA tournament, winning it all, getting it done, going to the final four. It was almost a lock still delivered. And also Michigan state was viewed as a potential number one seed. And I was even one to say Michigan state should have been a number one seed. Obviously that was proven wrong. This was probably the biggest upset ever when it comes to a 15 over two from that perspective alone because Michigan State probably should have been a number one seed and how they, and how they lost in this game. And what's fascinating, before I shoot it to you guys, before I shoot, I'm going to let Jonathan talk first. Before I shoot it to you guys, think about this. On Sunday, the Big Ten Championship, minutes before Selection Sunday began, Purdue and Michigan State played in the Big Ten Championship. Both teams are now out. Little Rock and Michigan State <laughs> out of the tournament day <laughs> one. Unbelievable stuff. One of the toughest, if not debatably the toughest conference in college basketball in the Big Ten. Both tournament contending teams in the conference tournament out. Losing to Little Rock and losing to Middle Tennessee. Jonathan, shoot it to you first. Is this the greatest upset of all time? 15 over a 2. Well, uh, overall, no. I mean, because you still have NC State over Houston. You still have Villanova over Georgetown. So, I mean, overall, you know, those have to be up there as the greatest upsets of all time. There's, there's a few others, I think. But, but as, in terms of, yeah, in terms of the eight times that is, this has now happened, and, and now four of those, half of those eight times, by the way, are within the last uh, five years yeah. of the, the last five years of this tournament since 2012. So that's amazing. You know, before 2012, we only saw this four times. We've now seen it as many times in the last five years. So it's becoming a lot more frequent. But, yeah, definitely in terms of – the the eight fifteen seeds that have now beaten a two seed in this tournament. This was definitely the biggest one because, like you said, the only the others were were big upsets. Uh, you know, Arizona losing to Santa Clara, um, South Carolina losing, you know, Hampton beating Iowa State. Those those are all big ones. Even FGCU beating Georgetown. If Syracuse comes to mind and you losing to Richmond. Those are all big ones, all shocking. But none of those teams I don't think were ever seen as on par with a one seed. And Michigan State was definitely on that level. People saw Michigan – if you look at – go to ESPN.com and see what the analysts picked. There were 31 – this doesn't make them, you know, always right, and usually they, they do they do pick them wrong, right. as most of us do, so it's nothing against them. But, but 31 analysts picked, right? Corey Alexander was the only one out of the 31 who, who did not have Michigan State in his Final Four. This has to be the first time – it has to be the earliest ever, I think, that Dick Vitale ever had his team – his pick for cutting down the nets for a championship out this early. It's got to be. It's got to be the, the earliest that he's ever his championship pick is out for for this point in the tournament. But um, I think this game. If you would have told me beforehand, Michigan right. State's going to shoot fifty five point six percent. They're going to put up eighty one points. The best three point shooting team in the country is going to go forty five point eight percent from three. 
11 from 24, I would have said Middle Tennessee State has no chance. How is a team? How is even? How is even a, right. a good team like even even North Carolina in a Final Four going to overcome those kind of numbers? And Middle Tennessee right. State. <laughs> oh, they outplayed it down the stretch. You know, I was like, you know what, the hell with my bracket. I just want to see them win because this would be the com- a complete injustice. When this game was about 65-64, Middle Tennessee State was up about nine, about 12 minutes ago or so, and then Michigan State came back and they cut it to one. They cut it to yes. 65-64, and you think, okay, it was a nice try, but here we go. The Spartans are going to turn it on. They're probably going to win this by about six or eight points, and and everyone's going to say, nice try by my Middle Tennessee State, but 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 they didn't get it done. You know, they pushed them, and and they've got nothing to be ashamed of. But you know, we've seen that so many times. But. Again, the composure of the team that w- that was not supposed to be composed. Michigan State had 14 turnovers. Middle Tennessee State, as you said, only had 10. And if Michigan State shot 55.6 percent, well, Middle, Te- Middle Tennessee State said we're going to shoot 55.6 percent, or 55.9 percent. We're going to shoot about the same. And if if Michigan State is going to go 11 from 24 from three, Middle Tennessee State is going to go 11 of 19 from 11 three. 11 for 19. Even more efficient, right? So, and and just and all five starters and double figures to Middle Tennessee State. They came out, they hit their first six shots of the game, and jumped on the Spartans 15-2. I wasn't. I, that's when I started to tune in because I was keeping tabs on some of the other games that were going on, and I looked up at this because this is a, this is not a game where you figure. Middle Tennessee State's going to get off to a good start. If anything, if it's going to be 15-2, I would have said, okay, well, I guess the Spartans started fast, you know, if you would have heard that score right. in this game. So I was keeping tabs on the other game. As soon as I saw that score, I said, oh, let me flip over because, you know what, 15-2 sends a signal. This tells me that Middle Tennessee State came to play. And sure enough, then I found out they made their first six shots. And then I'm watching this game, and they just didn't go away. Every time Michigan State made a yeah. charge, made a run, Middle Tennessee State just never went away. They just stayed in the ball game and made play after play, both ends of the floor. You know, they would force a turnover. They would get a rebound. They'd get a block. Whatever it was, whatever they had to do, they'd get a big bucket at the other end. They'd get out in transition and either either get a, get a dunk or a lap or draw a foul or something they had to do. They'd get an offensive rebound late when Michigan State really needed to get a rebound with about a minute to go. Middle Tennessee State gets the offensive rebound to, to help ice it and put it away. Everything they had to do, they did. And they just, when I was watching the game at the end, I was like, Forget the bracket. If Michigan State wins this, it's a complete injustice because they've trailed the entire game. They 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 lost. If if anyone would have told you Michigan State was not going to lose this game, but lose it wire to wire, would you have ever believed it? I mean, Middle Tennessee State no. never trailed no. in this game, not once against the Spartans, who yeah. a lot of people saw as a one seed. It, it's just an unbelievable right. performance. And um, you know, yeah, I think you're talking about FGCU going to the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed. A lot of people don't think Syracuse could be there. They played very well against Dayton today, but does anybody think that Middle Tennessee State now, after the way they played against Michigan State, they doesn't have a shot against Syracuse? I mean, yeah, right, right. It, it, this this I, could I, be a Cinderella run for them. I, I Go ahead, think, Andy. I think Middle Tennessee actually, actually might be favored in Vegas, dude. I mean, with that style of play, it, it, was, right. it was nasty ball, but it was so pretty at the same time. Like, it was in your face. Right. Oh yeah, but we're gonna step out and hit a step back three, and then steal the ball and hit another three. Like it was, it was unbelievable. And of course, you know, and it didn't. It wasn't the fifteen to two run to start the game that won them the ball game. It was the whole game, like you said, wire to wire. 
But let's go look again. And you mentioned these stats, but I just want to throw them up there one more time. Three-point percentage for Middle Tennessee State, 58%. Michigan State. That's crazy. Well, 46%. But Middle Tennessee State had the advantage in that. Turnovers for Michigan State, 14, compared to just 10 for Middle Tennessee State. The bench played a combined, combined 19 minutes out of the 200 possible minutes for players to play in this game. Um, So the starters were out there playing crazy defense and still – Still, at the end of the game, had more energy. You know, I, I, the Michigan State fell apart, and man, how much does not getting that one seed hurt now? Because I think, honestly, I think Michigan State just had the worst day it's had all season. Uh, I think if they would have got past this, I still would have been very confident with them in my championship game. The, the thing, the thing that, that shocked me with this game, though, if you would have told me, okay, Michigan State's going to lose this game because they struggle maybe offensively. You know, they they lose a game the way. The way the, the the semifinals against Maryland and maybe the championship game of the Big Ten tournament against Purdue was played, you know, in the '60s, something like that, where they, you know shots just didn't fall that day, and Middle Tennessee State did enough to just barely get by, you know, 66, 63, something like that. I would have said, I, I you know, I'd be shocked, but that they lost the game. But okay, I could see them losing it that way in an upset. But think about this: Michigan State scored 81. This is Tom Izzo. <laughs> Tom Izzo. Yeah. He, right. he went he, – the, the Michigan State was a one or a two seed five times before this, right? This was the sixth time they were either one or two seed in this tournament. The five prior times, he went to the Final Four four times. The only other time he didn't go to the Final Four, went to the Sweet 16 and lost to one seed Louisville that year. So for them to lose this – this is Tom Izzo. This is not another coach that doesn't have his team ready. This is one of the most remarkable upsets in the tournament that we've seen – in a long, long time. I mean, I, again, I have to put NC State over Houston, Villanova over Georgetown, the championship. And those game, were, you know, and those were ahead thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah, but but aside from those, I mean, is this number three? Is it right behind those? Is, is, right. is, is it in top the top five? five? Because when you consider, it's not just that Middle Tennessee State beat a two seed as a fifteen seed, and it's the best fifteen over two of the eight we've seen. It's who it's against. I mean. Tom Izzo doesn't do this. Tom Izzo is March. He is he is the NCAA tournament. Right. He gets his teams ready for this tournament. This isn't supposed to happen. You know he he's not supposed to he he's not supposed to have a 15 seed. You you would expect this against maybe Villanova, right? Villanova a lot of times. Jay Wright's a great coach and everything, and but and Villanova's a great program, but. If Middle Tennessee State or a team like that, 15 seed, did this against a team like Villanova, you could kind of almost understand it or, or see yeah. it based on past history. But this doesn't happen with Michigan State. This doesn't happen with Tom Izzo. No. For Middle Tennessee State to, to do this against them, to not win this game in the 60s or in the 50s or something like that, but to put 90 right. points? I mean, think about this. <laughs> um, Pittsburgh and Wisconsin combined for 90 yeah. points in one of the lowest, lowest scoring tournament games ever in NCAA tournament history. Yeah. Middle Tennessee State matched that today against a team like Tom Izzo's Michigan State. That's what that's what occurred crazy. today. It's crazy. <laughs> well, Andrew, what were you going to say? On top of it, you know, coming into the year, Tom Izzo doesn't, doesn't normally get, you know, multiple five-star recruits. He might get one. But it's normally, you know, sophomores, juniors, and seniors who have grown into their role, know where they're supposed to be, and do everything perfectly because he's a perfectionist. This year's a little bit different. They still have those guys, Denzel Valentine and whatnot, but he had three five-stars coming into the year. 
And that might have ultimately been their undoing, relying so much on these young guys, which Tom Izzo is not used to doing. Um, right. And, and, and you know, it, it's just amazing because talent-wise, this might be the best team Tom Izzo has ever had. I, I, I'm right. sure there's, there, there's multiple other teams who can compete, but just pure talent, NBA-type talent, this is, in my opinion, yes. the best team he's ever had. And, and I mean, let's not act like they came out and played the worst game they could have played. It took the other team going 11 of yes. 19 from three to beat them. But it, yes. It, yes. And it might not be the, the biggest upset. I think it's definitely better than FGCU over Georgetown just because I don't think yes. Georgetown was that great that year. But um, it, 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 remarkable is the word I'm looking for. This is one of the most remarkable upsets I've ever seen as far as how the game progressed. Like you said, wire to wire. The entire game they led, 11 of 19 from three, 56% from the freaking field, guys. It was yeah. unbelievable yeah. to watch, <laughs> and I it defined March. It, it defined it. It, it was March Madness in a nutshell. It did. And, and the other thing, too, on top of it, like you said, nine-point victory. I mean, all these other 15 seeds that win, and obviously what, uh, what FGCU did over Georgetown, they won by more than 10. That obviously happened, but this was, again, like you said, outside of Lehigh and North Dakota State and, 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 and FGCU, this was a nine-point victory over a potential one seed who, in my opinion, should have been a one seed. That's, that's all you need to know. I mean, if they would have won, if, if Midtown would have won at the buzzer, I think we would have said, yes, this was still an amazing upset, would have been one of the greatest we've seen. But it was, it, was, it was convincing. It was convincing how it happened. This was not a nine-point victory running away. This was a, you know, every time, like, like, like it was said, wire to wire. And it was a nine-point victory. That's all you need to know. That is, un- that is unbelievable from multiple perspectives. And we have broken it down to the point where we literally have talked about this for about 20 minutes. Let's go on to the next couple of games. Um, obviously, after that game, I had to take a break. I watched part of the Iowa Temple game. That was <laughs> an overtime game. 72-70, to 70, Iowa got it done. I watched the first half. Unbelievable competition between these two. I had Temple winning the game, and this was one of those games where I honestly had no idea who was going to win when I picked it. Um, I picked Temple because I had seen them in their conference. They looked pretty good all year, and coming down the stretch into the end of the season, they looked really good, and Iowa did not look good. But fortunately for Iowa, they played in the Big Ten. They've seen tough competition, and they found a way to get it done in this one. 72-70 to 70 in overtime. Jonathan, what did you see in the second half of this one? And, 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 and after you uh, speak, Andrew, speak on if you watched this game or not. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Temple, like early on, I mean, I, I couldn't believe because I, like, I thought Temple plays defense. But I, Iowa right. was just on fire. They were 6 of 9 from 3 early on. Halfway through the first half, they already had 30 points. They were already up 30 to 18, which was – Kind of shocking to me because I did not expect. I know Iowa can score, but I didn't expect them to put up 30 in half of a half against Temple. So uh, that settled down. And though Temple run, ran off 13 in a row, they got back in the game. It was, tie, it was very close half. At one point, game Iowa was up at halftime. They pulled away. They're up eight with five minutes to go. And I think, okay, Iowa's got the game. Both teams just went into an offensive funk. So it wasn't just Iowa's Temple also. So it didn't seem like Temple was going to come back, but they did. Both teams made plays down the stretch, and you know Brooklyn was just. One of the the great sights in yes. this tournament, you know, aside from Villanova, the Michigan Notre Dame game and Stephen F. Austin, you know, but uh, this game as well in Brooklyn uh, for the Barclays Center hosted for the first time, they they got really lucky with three great games today, and hopefully they get two more over the weekend. But uh, you know, for it to end the way it did, 
uh, shot from their corner, right corner, goes up, looked like I thought for sure, seeing how offline it was, I thought for sure, okay, we're headed to a second overtime. And sure enough, um, jumping up, grabbing the, grabbing the ball out of the air and just putting it in, which is exactly what Cincinnati should have done <laughs> because it right. was a different kind of play. <laughs> but had he, had he just let the ball go <laughs> instead of trying to duck it, they, they probably would have, might, might still be playing right now. Who knows? But um, the way that game went. But, uh, but yeah, just a thrilling finish in, um, in Iowa, Iowa advances. But, you know, for um, a, a 7-10 game, you know, that's exactly the way you expect it to go. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, just unbelievable. You know, it's, it's um, just March Madness at its best when you get a finish like that until we saw what we saw at the end of tonight. We'll get to that. We will get to that and we'll break down our experiences. But, Andrew, talk about the Iowa Temple game. Did you watch that game, Andrew? Yeah, this game was incre- it, 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 very impressive by Iowa, and let me explain why. Obviously, they had to go to overtime with a, with a lower seed, but this team relies so much on Mike Giselle and, and Jared Utah, and they want to combine 7 for 29 from the field, 2 wow. for 11 from 3. Giselle <laughs> went 0 for 8 from the field, and, and this, this Iowa team who has relied so so much on those two guys, especially Utah, found a way to come in and pull this game off. They've been playing extremely cold, and Temple was actually a popular upset pick who got some great plays from Ducuzzi and Bond combined for 40 points on uh, 17 wow. of 37 shooting. Uh, you, you know, it, it was it was a good, Temple played a good game, and Iowa just found a way. I you know when you look at the stats. You say no way Iowa yep. won this game, but they just found a way to win this game, and that's what you got to do in March. Yeah, you know, thirty-four point eight percent from the field, twenty-five seven of twenty-eight from three, thirty-four point eight percent from the field. Temple shoots forty-five point five percent, not well from three, only four of eighteen. But we seems like we've seen a lot of teams shooting under forty percent and just gutting out, making other plays. That's what's been great about this tournament. We've seen it a few times, not just Iowa. Um, yeah. It was teams where you look at the numbers and you like you look at the shooting numbers. How could they possibly win an NCAA tournament game like that, especially a close one? And they just find a way. And Iowa is another example. Yeah. It was just again another unbelievable game. And this was only the middle portion of the day. This was kind of where the second half of the day started to happen. Uh, I mean, obviously some of the blowouts. I'll just fly through them real quick because we obviously got a lot more to go on the show. We got about. 35 minutes to go on the show, and I just want to fly through some of these blowouts. Oklahoma beat CSU Bakersfield, the two versus 15. CSU Bakersfield was competitive in the first half, but obviously Oklahoma took it over, winning 82-68. to 68. Uh, They got it done there, moving on to the second round. Uh, Wisconsin and Pittsburgh, I told you this was going to be a, like a 50-point game. They didn't even <laughs> score 50. They scored in the 40s. 47-43 Wisconsin won. This was a very ugly uh, type of ball game to watch. Obviously not very appealing, but Wisconsin found a way to get it done late. Uh, they, they found a way to just, just gut it out and get a victory. Ultimately, 47-40, not an upset, but a pretty big game there. Um, and then, obviously, uh, Texas A&M beating Green Bay 92-65. to Oregon over Holy Cross, 81 to 52 one seeds are now 128 and 0 in conference play or excuse me in the NCAA tournament all time 
Still no 16 seed has beaten a one, and we thought this would be the year, but obviously we talked about middle, middle 10 and Michigan State and what happened there, but that was an unbelievable game. Um, real quickly, before we get to what we saw tonight, a couple of games, obviously, obviously one huge upset. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to get your guys' take on this Maryland-South Dakota State game. I did not watch this game, but Jonathan, could you recap a little bit of what happened in this one? And then, Andrew, if you want to speak on it, feel free to do so. Yeah, I mean, Maryland, um, they actually had this game in hand. They were up 18 late in the second half. It took a while to pull away. Um, South Dakota State, you know, a lot of people thought that would be one of the 12-5 games that, where, where the 12th seed would, would, would give the 5 seed trouble. Uh, you know, Maryland's been – they obviously have a lot of talent, but they've been so inconsistent this year, and you kind of scratch yes. your head. At, you know, how, how do they have so many losses when they have a roster with that, that kind of talent? But when they play well – they're capable of playing with almost anybody in the country, so we'll see what happens from here. But uh, this was a game, it, it's kind of fitting for how they are because, like I said, they've got this talent to build an 18-point lead, but then you kind of scratch your head and say, well, why don't they play well all the time? And sure enough, 18-point right. lead becomes a two-point lead after a 24-8 run. Uh, the Jackrabbits, one of the best nicknames in college basketball, get back in the game. <laughs> Uh, and then they have a chance to tie the tie the game with a three, and what do they do? Uh, I was really looking forward to a great finish, you know, win or lose, whatever, uh, overtime, whatever. And they have a chance down three, and they throw the ball away, <laughs> and uh, it goes the other way, and Maryland wins it 79-74. They barely hang on. So a uh, uh, tough loss to South Dakota State. But, again, this is one of those games, by my count, I have to look at it again, but I think I looked at it real quick before the show, and by my count – if you count games like this, right, where either the upsets we saw or a game like this where the upset didn't happen but it was competitive, by my count, the, the high seed, the, the, the favorite, the team that was expected to win, won in a game that wasn't competitive, like an Oklahoma game, right? Like that was a 14-point game, but that game was a four-point game with about three and a half minutes to go, so I consider that a competitive yes. game. You know, even the final score didn't indicate what happened. So, so that I would throw into, you know, one of the games where it was competitive. Those types of games, out of, if you count the first four and the first round, by my count, it's only 12 games where the higher seed won in a fashion that, where it just wasn't competitive. Other than that, it was the lower seed winning, or if the lower seed didn't win, it was a game like this where South Dakota State pushed the higher seed right to the end. So, I mean, you can't get more of a competitive tournament than that so far. Yeah, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, and actually, I have cracked the code for why Maryland is so inconsistent. You guys ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Mellow Trimble cannot play two good halves, no matter what. <laughs> I've never seen yeah. him do it. Never in my true. life have it's I true. seen Mellow. 15 in the first half, 19 overall. I see it every time. I mean, this guy, I love this guy, dude. I love watching this yes. guy play. I can't wait to see him in the pros, even though he'll probably be a bench warmer, early second round, late first round pick. But – he just can't do it. I don't know why. It's normally the first half that sucks, which I guess is good because it's not about how you start a tight finish. You know that cliche. But this guy cannot put together two good halves, and it's so frustrating to watch. Probably the most frustrating thing in college basketball for myself right now is watching Melo yeah. Tribble in his bad half of basketball. I know it's going to be there. I saw he had 15 and a half. I also saw Maryland was up 12, and I said, uh-oh, watch out. This game's going to be close because – he he just can't do it. And, and if you told me that Trimble was only going to put up four points in the second half, and Suleiman and Carter were going to combine for 14 overall, or Suleiman, Carter, and Stone, 18 points overall, no way would I think Maryland won this game. But they pulled it out. 
Lehman went nuts. Eight of eight from the line, five of eight from three. Seven of 11 overall for 27, and that's what you need in the tournament. Bada bing, bada boom, I cracked the code. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that's a I pretty like good it. point. I mean, if, if you see that Trimble had a good first half and you see Maryland's up comfortably, you would think, okay, they're going to pull away in the second half. I, don't, I think most people would say that. For you to say, actually, that, hey, this is a – danger sign for Maryland because he's not going to have a good second half. Right. Sure enough, that's what happened. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good insight for you at halftime to, to see something like that. But uh, I don't know why, but he just can't do it, and it makes me so angry. Like, he just <laughs> can't. Yeah, it's, 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 a really frustrating, uh, it's a really frustrating thing there to see. Um, to see a guy like Melo Trimble, as we mentioned, a guy who just, I, I agree with you, Andrew, unbelievable talent, unbelievable player there. As uh, Obviously, Maryland uh, gets the victory, though, 79-74. They're moving on to the next round. We will preview the second round for you here after we finish out. But uh, one upset before we start talking about the games we saw at the end of the night, Stephen F. Austin over West Virginia. Look, I, I, I told Andrew, I told people at work, I told everyone this, I said, look, Stephen F. Austin since January, and when I, was, when I was doing my research, this was a tough one. I actually had Stephen F. Austin originally, and then the next day, on, so I filled them out. I filled out Stephen F. Austin as a winner on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday I was like, no, I'm crazy. West Virginia is one of the best rebounding teams in the nation. They're tough. They played in the Big 12. They know how to play competitive every night. They're, they're, they're kind of, they have Bob Higgins in the, in the press. They know what they're doing. Huggins, excuse me. And they know what they're doing, ultimately playing defense. And they can, they can scratch a, a good team in a, in a small conference, a dominant team in a small conference, and they can, they can battle test them. What did Stephen F. Austin do? Thomas Walkup. Yes, he is your performer of the night. I don't care what anyone says. This guy tonight, I'm telling you, there were multiple times where I, where I looked away from the screen and I looked back. I thought Bryce Harper was playing basketball. Like, I thought Bryce Harper <laughs> had literally left spring training, walked on the basketball court, put on a jersey, and was like, okay, I'm going to play for Stephen F. Austin tonight. He looked like Bryce Harper, and he was unbelievable. You say white people can't play basketball. Watch this guy. This guy was all over the court making unbelievable. He reminded me a lot of what, uh, of what Josh H- uh, Higgins did last night. Uh, a lot of fundamental, unbelievable plays up and down the basketball, offensively, off the ball, uh, finding ways to play defense, getting his team involved. And every time this team ran, ran a fast break, he did it almost to perfection. And every time this team got in the half court, uh, once they got past the full court press, they found a way to get their offense in rhythm. And at times they looked tentative. Don't get me wrong. There were times where they did not look like they were comfortable. I mean, why would you? West Virginia is going to make you look uncomfortable all the time. But when they finally got that confidence rolling in the, with the 10 minutes left in the ballgame, you saw a Stephen F. Austin team that once they figured it out and made those adjustments, I, I, I honestly, I thought I was watching a Stephen F. Austin team who had played in the Big 12 all year. That final 10 minutes of that ball game, I saw a team in Stephen F. Austin where I was like, okay. It all makes sense now. I get why they, why they dominated every team by 30 in their conference. Granted, they played in the Southland. But they dominated every single team since January by 20, 30 points. They dominated conference play, 16-0 in conference, dominated the conference tournament, walk in and play West Virginia. Yeah, they struggled a little bit early on. But by the end of the ball game, you saw them pulling away, fundamentally eating up West Virginia, finding ways to get them off their game, get them frustrated, which – since when did you see a Southland? Think about it. Since when have you seen a Southland conference team frustrate a Big 12 team, which arguably is the best conference in all of college basketball, frustrate them and make that one guy, the one fro with the glasses, what's his name? The guy with the glasses and the fro on West Virginia, what's his name? 
Who's that guy's name? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Uh, are you guys either, was it Williams or not, I don't remember actually. Uh, I forget his name. Yeah, but that they, guy. I remember. I remember tuning in because I watched the second half of this game. But I remember uh, off and on I was switching games. But I was I was watching this game every single time that guy was on the free throw line or in the paint or something. And, and when the ball, when the, basically when 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 when, uh, when uh, the ball stopped and everything died, like uh, you know, like out of bounds play or whatever. This guy was trying to hype his team up. When have you seen a, a Big 12, big conference team have to have their, their big player hype up their team just to beat a small team? And Steve, they were frustrating them to death. And this was the thing I thought they were going to do, but I didn't believe it because West Virginia had all of itself going for them. And this was another team in West Virginia that blew out a lot of, te- a lot of people's brackets because of all the big main things, the rebounding the press defense, the, the big conference they played in, all the things they had going for them going into this game. And you saw a guy in Thomas Walker uh, just absolutely play his, his, his just jockstrap off. Tonight. I mean, this guy was unbelievable in how he played and what he did. I mean, think about this. This guy just dominated. The guy absolutely dominated today. And, and I can't think of a better way to explain it. Jonathan, can you explain how Stephen F. Austin won 70-56 to 56 over West Virginia, the 14 seed over the three? In the yeah, so so this is this is the other end of the spectrum with the field goal percentage, right? With with a big upset. So we you know we're talking about how Michigan State shot the ball so well at fifty five point six percent, and then what did Middle Tennessee State do? You know they said, okay, we're going to match that fifty. We're going to even beat it a little bit, fifty five point nine percent, right? Well, this is a case where West Virginia only shot thirty point eight percent, and Stephen F. Austin shot thirty point nine percent. 17-55. So if I would have told you that a 14 seed was going to beat a 3 seed shooting 31%, would you, would you believe me? Probably not, right? So, I mean, but, but again, that's where that poise comes in. We were talking about that before. Arkansas Little Rock, uh, last night, 18 tur- 6 turnovers, took care of the ball. Purdue, 8 turnovers. So tonight, 22 turnovers. For West Virginia, they, that was their biggest problem. Just could not hang on to the ball. Only six turnovers for uh, Stephen F. Austin at one point late in the second half. I think they went 12 minutes, at least 12 minutes, without a turnover. I, they might have even finished the last 16 minutes, I think, without a turnover. I don't know if they turned it over in the final four minutes. But, but here's a, here's one number that that just jumped out, or two numbers. It's the same number, but jumps off the page to me. 16 steals for Stephen F. Austin. 16 made shots for West Virginia. I mean, if you're going to shoot 31%, if you're going to shoot 30.9%, and the, the the only way you could possibly get a win is, is A, get to the free throw line, and walk up did that, 19 of 20 from the line by himself. And West Virginia, 21 of 27 at the line, but he was 19 of 20 by himself at the line um, for, for 19 of his 33 points. But... That was the thing. I mean, West Virginia just could not hold on to the ball. And credit Stephen F. Austin. If you're not going to shoot the ball well, and they didn't, 30.9%, you got to make sure the other team doesn't shoot the ball well. We see so many times, not only at the college level and the NBA, shots don't fall at one end. Guys hang their heads. Their, their intensity, their energy sags at the other end of the floor, and they give up easy baskets or they're not communicating and they're not, they're not playing as a unit defensively. That just never happened with Stephen F. Austin tonight. They, they did what they had to do at the defensive end of the floor, and no matter what West Virginia tried offensively, they were just completely out of sync, couldn't make shots. Couldn't, Stephen F. Austin got in passing lanes. It disrupted West Virginia's offense. Uh, every set that they tried to run, they disrupted them. And, uh, again, 22 turnovers 
16 steals, as many steals for Stephen F. Austin as West Virginia made shots, pretty much tells the story in that one. And again, again, it's the the the, the lower seed down the stretch when you think that you think West yes. Virginia you know West Virginia got in the bonus 1305 right they got into the bonus and they're only down I think seven or so at that point 4336 and you think okay here they come they're going to start getting they can't shoot from the field but they're going to get to the foul line the way Stephen F. Austin did and eventually West Virginia the higher seed you know bigger conference three seed against the 14 eventually they're going to get to the foul line and they're going to kind of impose their will in the game late and they're going to take it over that way and they'll they'll squeak this one out it just never happened though i mean they're in the bonus with 1305 to go did they really ever even get to the line that much the rest of the way not that much not as much as you thought they would have over the last 13 minutes mm-hmm. being in the bonus and that's a credit to Stephen f austin they played great defense without fouling and just kept turning west virginia over and before you knew it, I mean, this was this was a win going away. I mean, yeah. not only do they win, but they win by 14 points, 70 to 56, shooting 30.9 percent. Would you ever think that was possible? I mean, that's a credit to to Stephen F. Austin. Like we said, finding a way to win. You know, again, it's another team that shoots badly, really badly, low 30s. And we've seen this a few times in this tournament. Lower seeds uh, shooting. Under forty percent, but but finding a way to win somehow, and it's a credit to them to 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 get to the foul line, to force turnovers, to to raise their defensive intensity even when shots aren't falling, and to not be intimidated by the West Virginia on the chest of the other team and say, hey, you know what, we've been here before, we beat VCU two years ago in the tournament. Now, granted, that was a team that was thirty-two and two at the time when they beat VCU as a twelve seed. Right. So this this team's not as good as that team, but that's even more to their credit that they're not that thirty-two and two team. They still found a way, even shooting badly, to beat. West Virginia. I I have made the monumental mistake two years in a row where I've fallen in love with West Virginia. And I, I also <laughs> fell in love with Stephen F. Austin. I, I picked Stephen F. Austin at the start, and then I did exactly what I did last year. I went two into the formula, and I made it my end-all, be-all, right? West Virginia leads the nation in offensive rebounding, plays a crazy defense, and can shoot threes. I had them in my final four two years in a row. Yes, I had them beating Kentucky last year. We saw how that went, okay? Um, and and this game, I mean, you said everything perfect. It, it, it was just one of those games. Stephen F. Austin played not close to perfect, but they dominated. And, and West Virginia just crapped to the bed. And I would use stronger language, but we're on the show here because I don't think crap the bed – does it justice, but that's what they did. Yeah, they absolutely did not play very well down the stretch. And, and again, Thomas Walkup, listen to this stat line. 33 points, 4 assists, 9 rebounds. That's a 50 on the white board, the performance scale. That is that is performance of the night by, by an underdog. That guy carried his team down the stretch and really was the guy that everyone else on the team looked up to to get them a basket, get them an individual play to get them going again if they weren't playing well. That was the guy who carried them through Thomas Walkup, in my opinion, performer of the night in the world of college basketball. Obviously, team of the night is obviously Middle Tennessee, but the performer of the night was Thomas Walkup. Unbelievable stuff there. Uh, Xavier beat Weber State. Uh, it was. It was. I think after all the craziness that happened today, Xavier was like, "Look, we're just going to play our best basketball, and we're not going to look at the scoreboard." That's pretty much what they did. <laughs> Weber State did all they could to really play their best game, and they actually they actually hung in there throughout the game and played pretty well. But Xavier dominated at the end, seventy-one fifty-three, like a two seed should do over a fifteen. Now, this is where we're going to kind of give our own personal monologue 
for what happened in uh, in this one. Uh, obviously, what happened tonight in the final three games was, I mean, you can say all you want about how Middle Tennessee beat Michigan State. You can say all you want about how about how you know obviously Stephen F. Austin won in Hawaii and Syracuse and all these other upsets that happened. But tonight in the final three games, the final matinee games in their tournament, in their conference, excuse me, in their brackets. Notre Dame and Michigan, I watched this game with uh, my girlfriend's, my girlfriend's uh, family. Uh, they're huge Notre Dame fans. Obviously, Michigan and what they did, they were unbelievable. Notre Dame winning 70-63, to 63, but it was not that close. It really wasn't. It was back and forth. I, I'm sitting you. I, I'm, I'm giving give you my personal thing on what happened. Look, I'm watching this game. I, I, I'm watching you and I or uh, NIU, uh, uh, UT on my, on my uh, iPad. I'm seeing Cincinnati and St. Joe's in the, in the le- top left-hand corner as I'm watching Michigan-Notre Dame, and I'm seeing that score dwindle, getting closer and closer, back and forth. St. Joe's led most of the game. Cincinnati takes it back and forth. Notre Dame and Michigan is back and forth. Uh, NIU is back and forth between UT. It is like one-point game both ways, all the way through. And Notre Dame found a way to prevail at the end and beat Michigan. The crowd, I'm telling you, that Notre Dame-Michigan game, I don't know which game you guys were uh, really focusing on, but that was the craziest crowd I've seen. And granted, deservedly so, Notre Dame and Michigan in football have one of the craziest rivalries. Unfortunately, it's kind of come to an end. But it's one of the craziest historic rivalries ever. And that crowd was ridiculous. I mean, that was one of the best crowds I've seen at a college basketball game ever. Notre Dame and Michigan. It was amazing. And how that game came down the stretch and how Notre Dame played, how Michigan played, the big men for Notre Dame, as I mentioned earlier on the show, really stepped up and really put away that game for Notre Dame. And they found a way to get it done. 70-63, to 63, they won. Obviously, that was a big game. But, like, moments later, after that game had finished, I switch over to UNI-UT. I then switch over on my iPad to Cincinnati-St. Joe's. Cincinnati-St. Joe's has got about three minutes left. Cincinnati said, Joe's coming, going back and forth. What's going on? Uh, NIU, UT a minute left. Uh, Wes Washpun's doing his thing. Obviously, UT's doing their thing, finding a way. And then UT finds a way to tie it up 72-72 with about four, uh, two, three seconds left in the game. And Jeff Jesperson throws a key from half court. It goes in. I'm going crazy. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's happening. Life is madness. It's nuts. Cincinnati St. Joe's is literally like we like that game is coming down the wire as that is happening. It's tied. It's tied up 70, 78. Well, actually St. Joe's was, it was tied 76, 76. St. Joe's comes down, hits a bucket and then Cincinnati gets, it comes down. And, and obviously the tip, the, the dunk that was missed just a split second before. And I'm sitting there, I'm like yelling about the U and I play on Twitter. I'm like, ah, my girlfriend's family going crazy. They're celebrating Notre Dame winning. And then obviously this, it was this, this final portion of the night defined madness. And I could not I, – I was like, man, I got a show in five minutes. What's going on? Holy crap, <laughs> half-court shot. It's nuts. I mean, this was – I mean, I don't, I don't think I'll ever remember a crazier March Madness night in my life. Uh, what were you going through? Uh, uh, what were you going through, uh, Jonathan? And then, Andrew, you follow up with what you went through. Well, yeah, I mean, given the fact that within, what, about an hour, we had the Michigan State loss followed by the buzzer beater between Iowa and Temple, I think, right? That, that happened within an hour. For, for, to go yeah. from that earlier in the day to 
moments that were just, I mean, there's one point where I was tweeting out that, okay, you know, we had what we had before, right? It's for already history, 13, 14, and 15 all winning on the same day. We had a buzzer beater, we, we had not just a 15, but 15 beating a team that people perceived as a one. And then you, to go from that to the three games at the end, at one point late, they were 66-63, 66-63, and 66-65 yes. at the yes. same time. And I'm thinking, okay, which one do I go to? <laughs> because, uh, you know, in a way, I'm kind of kicking myself being here on Long Island. I'm kind of kicking myself for not going and, and going to Brooklyn and even covering that one. But, you know, it was because and, – and the reason I didn't want to is because – so I guess I could have watched it online. But the reason I didn't want to is because exactly because of this. Because when you're there, it's great for a game like that, but you're missing everything else that's going on usually. Because the tournament, as great as it is in person, and I've been, I've been there in person, it's a lot of fun. But the problem is the tournament's such a TV event. When you have moments like this, you got three games that are almost the same score down the stretch. Two of them are the same God. score. And you don't know which one to flip to first or, or next or whatever. It, I mean, that's why you kind of almost don't want to be there. You know, it, it's it's kind of a, a catch-22. Like, yeah, it's great, the environment, the energy. I'm sure in Brooklyn at Barclays it was, it was just incredible between those two crowds, between Michigan and, and, uh, and Notre Dame. But at the same time, uh, it's such a TV event. You know, you don't want to miss what's going on with, with right. Texas and you and I. You don't want to miss a half-court no. buzzer beater. Like, unfortunately, I did because I'm I'm watching St. Joe's in Cincinnati because that's coming down to the stretch and I go flip it over and just as I flip it you and I is rushing out of the court to celebrate I'm like what happened what happened and they're showing the players they're showing the coaches and I'm like show the replay show the replay I gotta see what happened and they show the half court I'm like ah oh, I missed this and I'm like it was just unbelievable like you said it was just pure madness I mean it was the definition of March Madness it just doesn't get any better than that I mean if you would have had these two instances, right, where you had the 13, 14, and 15, you had the 15 with the big upset, and then an hour later the buzzer overtime buzzer beater. If you would have had that yesterday, and then the finish today with those three games on a different day, oh god, you oh. It, it still it still would have been a great great two days, right, great yeah. first round, right. But mm-hmm. to have that all in the same day of the tournament, to me, it's the greatest day of the tournament ever. I know we had the two 15s win uh, four years ago in 2012. Uh, we had yeah. we had some great moments in that in that tournament, but to me this even surpasses it. This was the best day in, in the tournament ever. I mean, we, we probably have to look back and, and really think, you know, other days what what days might be better. But to me, this is the best day best day in tournament history. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And if it's not the best day, it is bar none, nothing even close, miles ahead of everything else. The best ten minutes in tournament history. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude, it was nuts. And of course, I this is how my ten minutes went, and I actually went back and rewatched it um, with my computer on silent. But I am a diehard Michigan fan, Jonathan. I don't know if he's a diehard. I mean, I, I I'm a Walmart Wolverine. I don't know if you guys have heard that term. I didn't go to school. I don't have any family that went to school, but I'm just a diehard Michigan fan. Uh, so I saw them lose, and I kind of just put my head down, and I was like, oh, I'm done with this. I can't. My heart is going to give out. I'm going to be the youngest person to die from a heart attack ever. And, then I, you know, so, and then I'm like, crap, i got to show in like five minutes so I get everything ready. Jonathan, I also don't know if you know this. I do my show from my truck because I'm weird, and it's because it, I, I actually do the show on my lunch break normally, so I feel comfortable in there. That's just where I have everything set up with so I just do it from my truck. Why not? 
So I'm running out to my truck, getting everything set up. And then I, I get in there with you. I hear about the buzzer beater. I actually watched the, the Cincinnati game. Um, I, I heard from you guys about the buzzer beater. And I'm just like, what just happened? Why? What is what? Just what? And that, that, that March did to me. It made me not able to talk for about 20 seconds. And it was it was the best 10 minutes. You, you know, this was, in my opinion, the second craziest night I've ever seen in sports behind the the first wild card uh, games in uh, the first the first year that the MLB in, in had baseball. the wild card game. in the baseball. Yeah, day, I was going to say the game. same thing. Yes, yeah, Red Sox, Tampa Bay. I know exactly yep. what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the craziest night of my life in sports. Um, I was going nuts that night, yeah. man. Yeah, but but yeah. this. For basketball, was the craziest thing, craziest 10 minutes, craziest day I've ever experienced. And, man, I love March. And yeah, I mean, when I, I – oh, I was going to say something. When you when you brought up the wild card, that's exactly when you were talking about how crazy you felt. I was like, that brought me right back to 20, 2012 playoffs when, uh, when, the, when, when Evan Longoria hit the game-winning home run right after – I forget who was playing the other game – but that had happened, that crazy. It was the Orioles and someone. The Orioles had won, I believe. And then it was literally like five minutes later, Evan Longoria hit all game-winning home run, a final, like, like final like play of the season. I didn't know it was real anymore. Like, I had an out-of-body experience well, for how excited I was. I didn't – I, I literally walked around like a zombie. I didn't know what was – I was like, that just happened. in the wall. Yeah, and that yeah. wall right next to the foul pole has that little dip. Like, it cuts off like a two-foot yeah. wall for no reason at all. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and he, he snuck it over that wall. I mean, snuck it over it. And that's kind of how I felt tonight. It was just pure magic. And, and that's this is why we love sports. Like, these nights like tonight, this is why we love it. Jonathan, what were you talking about? No, I was just going to say, like, I, I mean, I wasn't even playing or wasn't even coaching, obviously, or anything, but I think I was sweating as much as Sean Miller was last night, just from what happened, just from the excitement of everything. <laughs> it was, I mean, I'm telling you, people, this is why this is why we love the sport of basketball in general, and it was, uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Cincinnati, unfortunately, couldn't get it done. That last-second dunk, I'm, I'm so glad the refs got that right at the beginning because at first I was like, oh, you yeah. get the dunk, and then, I, and then they took the points off, and I was like, what? And then I saw the replay, and I was like, oh, they got it right. They got it right. There's no debate, but I'm glad they checked it just in case because then it would have gone to overtime, and it, who knows what would have happened after that, but that was the right call. St. Joe's getting it done, 78-76, and then uh, Northern Illinois with the game-winning heave from half court, 75-72. Uh, just no other way to put it other than just March Madness and insanity at its finest. Um, that's your night, and that's, that's just that, that, that's all you need to know. It was That was your night. <laughs> Um, we got about 10 minutes left in the show. I just wanted to kind of go over these games for tomorrow, just preview real quick, and then we'll just get on out of here and go to bed. Uh, Wichita State, first game in the morning tomorrow or uh, afternoon for the East Coast, uh, 9 in the morning here, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Wichita State at Miami or against Miami, I guess. Wichita State's favorite. Uh, that's a pretty big one there. Yale, Duke, another one. Like, all these upsets are just, just screwing it up. Wichita State, Miami, 11 versus 3. Yale versus Duke, 12 versus 4. Um, then you got Indiana, Kentucky. That's probably the game I'm going to tune into the most. That's going to be an unbelievable game. Uh, Arkansas, Little Rock, and Iowa State, another fun one there, 12 versus 4. Butler and UVA uh, right after that one. 
Um, UConn, Kansas, that's a that, that, like like a like um, like Jonathan and I were saying yesterday. That that in the past would have been a championship <laughs> preview. That's just a crazy game. Like UConn, Kansas, and then Zaga, Utah, two West Coast powerhouses over the uh, you know. Utah, in my opinion, the best Pac-12 team all to get all around. Um, obviously, Oregon's the number one seed, but I think Utah's been the best all year. And then Providence, UNC to end it, which is another unbelievable matchup. What game are you guys looking forward to, and what do you expect for tomorrow in the first first day of round two, day three overall of the NCAA tournament? Jonathan, you start off, and then Andrew, you go. Well, 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 first, I just want to ask you guys a quick question. So without looking at the bracket real sure. quick, right, there's, there's 16 matchups left, right? With with the thirty two teams, without looking at the bracket, how many of the sixteen do you think are pure chalk? So even even if it's a one nine, right? That's not pure chalk because one eight would be chalk, right? So what do you, how many of the sixteen matchups left do you think are Six. pure chalk? Three. <laughs> That's how I crazy. Would say, I would say. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's actually four. It's actually four because you got all you have left is is Oregon and St. Joe's. It's a one and eight. Yep. You've got two two seven matchups. You get Iowa Villanova and Xavier Wisconsin, and then uh, you have the four five matchup, which is going to be incredible. Kentucky and Indiana. Other than that, everything else is not pure chalk. At least one Jeez. team that's not supposed to be there seed wise is there. That's how incredible it's been. Out of sixteen matchups, thirteen are not pure chalk, and that's why everyone's back and yeah. is busted. And that's why. That's why. What is it? One point one in one point one in nine point two quintillion. Uh, the odds for perfect bracket, that's why. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. I think tomorrow's going to be. I mean, I like all these games. I mean, how could you not? I mean, I think right. some of the mo- more intriguing ones: Indiana, Kentucky, obviously, because like we were talking about it yesterday. They never play each other, but now they're forced to. So that's going to be a war. You know, both on the court and with the fans, it's going to be a, a great environment uh, in Des Moines, and, and we'll see how that goes. I, I honestly think a lot of people know I know are going to lean toward Kentucky in that one, but I think Indiana, if they can shoot the three ball they can get out in transition they can run a little bit uh and make some stops i think they got a shot against kentucky um tomorrow you know butler against virginia i'm not that high on virginia as far as a one seed i think butler plays good fundamental basketball good 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 fundamentally sound defense and i think that's going to be something to watch utah gonzaga can gonzaga keep it keep it going uh i actually like gonzaga in that one to keep going past utah um yeah yale duke's going to be interesting i think Duke is going to win that one, but with a short bench and a Yale, you know, disciplined team as well, uh, like like Butler in a way, uh, if they can knock down some shots, especially if they're perimeter, they could give Duke problems. We saw what Wilmington did in pushing them, different style, but I think they could give them problems. Uh, Wichita State, you know, I like the two 11 seeds over the three seeds tomorrow. I like Gonzaga to beat Utah, and uh, I wasn't that impressed with Miami against Buffalo. I didn't like them that much going in either. I think they're a talented team, but I don't think they're a team that can go far. Uh, and I think Wichita State's on a roll right now. The way they play defense, I mean, 50 points allowed yeah. in the first game, 55. They completely locked down Vanderbilt, did the same thing against Arizona. I think they're going to cause Miami problems. Miami's going to struggle to find open shots and struggle to score points. I think Wichita State uh, and Gonzaga move on, the two eleven seeds. And, hey, why not? The way this tournament's been going, why not more double-digit seeds moving even further? Right. And then uh, Kansas-Utah, the two one nine games on uh, – on each side of of the at the top of the bracket, Carolina Providence, like uh, Andrew said, Chris Dunn's an amazing talent. So is Bentel, and uh, you know they barely got by USC. But sometimes you you got you get you survive that game that you probably shouldn't win, 
and then you move on and you uh and you, you kinda go on a little bit of a run. So that could happen, although I expect Carolina, the better team to win there. Same with Kansas and Yukon. We'll see what Yukon can do. They've been so yeah. hot recently ever since the conference tournament, but Kansas is, is obviously a tough test for them. But you know, nothing surprised me at this point anymore. We'll see what happens. Nope. All right, Angie, you go. Yeah, I think I think you got the highest chance out of this round to see the first the first one seed go down in uh uh North Carolina, and this isn't just because I've been talking to Chris Dunn. I really, I, well, I guess it is because I really think Chris Dunn could have a shot to go off against the team, thirty plus. Um, and in all honesty, I just want it to happen. Um, get ready for that Wichita <laughs> State Elite Eight run. They don't, they didn't go undefeated in the regular season. They're not expected to do crazy things, but just get ready for it. Um, and tomorrow's just going to be a good day. They have four days straight and just watch it all day. But I just wanted to make mine quick so, Chris, you can get yours in before the show ends here. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, hey, uh, from the standpoint of my bracket, my bracket looks all sorts of messed up. Um, and I would say uh, more colorful words. But like Andrew has said, we are we're on the radio, so I won't say that. But come on, UConn, just beat Kansas, please, so I can throw away my bracket. I don't care anymore. I just want to watch good <laughs> basketball, man. That's what everyone's doing now. I don't want to be a part of this. I want to win. I don't care anymore. Just let UConn do it. Let's just see some amazing upsets, and let's see some double-digit, high-seeded teams go deep in this tournament. Let's see something we've never seen before, and let's see the parity drive. Guys, it has been an unbelievable show. Is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here? We've got about two minutes, so just keep it quick. Well, I'm just glad that we uh, we start with a standalone game tomorrow so that I won't miss any more buzzer beaters from half court, you know, in case yeah. I don't switch over in time. And then one other thing I just want to mention, too. We didn't mention it with Stephen F. Austin. Brad Underwood, with that win today, actually tied Brad Stevens' record for most wins in three seasons to start a career with 89. Wow. So think about that. Well, amazing. I don't think he'll be at Stephen F. Austin much longer with the way that team's played over the last yeah, Probably years. not. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's madness. I, I'm really excited that I got to get on here and talk about this with you guys. Everybody, go subscribe to the YouTube, The Hooper's Log. That's all you got to type in. Go follow us on Blog Talk Radio. Again, The Hooper's Log, all you got to type in. Follow us at Talk Ball now, at Simo Buckets, at Jonathan J. Wagner. Okay. I'm out of here. As I say every time, peace. I got to be the work at 7 right. But guess what? I'm a lunatic. I'm going to go hop on PlayStation 4. I want to see all you guys there. I like it. I like it a lot. And as we leave, we have the college basketball theme. Episode 96 is in the books. Episode 97 will be tomorrow. Guys, tomorrow the episode will be at midnight. Exactly midnight. I don't anticipate these games to be pushed out much further. So the show will be at midnight tomorrow, Eastern Time, 9 p.m. Pacific, so we can break down this first part of round two. Jonathan Wagner, man, it was fantastic to talk to you, man. Hopefully we talk tomorrow, right, man? Right? Yeah, I'll be there. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you again for listening, everybody. If you listen to the iTunes, if you listen to live, if you listen to all that, Thank you again for listening. Have a fantastic night, and please get some rest so you can watch some more basketball tomorrow. Have a good one, everyone.